2: Football League show, carol singing in South Wales, Posh v Barnsley was so bad someone turned the lights off, Danny Cowley provides shocking revelations about Steve Evans and Forrest Green rail against their principles by stepping on the gas. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. <laughs> Welcome in once again then to our twice weekly chat about all things EFL. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are Adrian hi Hiya. Hiya and Sam Parkin.
3: Hello, Matt.
2: Hello, Sam. And also with us today, the Athletics EFL expert Nancy Frostic. Hi, Nancy.
4: Hiya.
2: Um, you've got a wide ranging brief, Nancy, for the Athletic. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on lately and why people should be signing up to go and read it?
5: Yeah, it's been it's been busy. It's always busy. But um, yeah, I spoke to uh, Beth Lumsden of uh, Oxford United Women on. Saturday I think it was I spoke to her because she's been uh, training with with the men's first team with uh, Carl Robinson which is pretty cool actually um, and a bit unusual and she said that basically come about because she was in the, in the gym at the training ground bumped into Carl and he was asking her how it's going and they're part-time the women's team in the National League South and uh, she said she just wanted a bit more contact time and he basically just said come down to our sessions so um, it's worth checking that out because she's got some really good insight about how she settled in and um, a few extra bits going on at Oxford um, and they're in the sort of in the mix for promotion with uh, Southampton and Ipswich. So, yeah, tough league, that one.
2: Excellent. Right, there were plenty of goings on in the Championship this weekend. We'll reflect on all of those next.
0: It's the Paddy Power Supporters Support Line and we're speaking to Spurs fan Mark. Yeah, it's Harry Kane. He's absolutely banging him in for England, but then he's playing for us, and, well, there won't be four goals a game. Yeah, true, but he also won't be playing against countries whose entire population wouldn't fill the stadium. Being a football fan isn't always rewarding, but if it's rewards you're after, then try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg, min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per deck. Students' enhanced match odds must have previously deposited to avail. Teas and Seas apply at 18BGambleAware.org.
4: You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Championship headlines. Not a great weekend for the promotion chasers. Blackburn were the only team who started the weekend in the top half to win. Bournemouth failed to capitalise on Fulham's stumble with both the top two drawing. After they all found the net last weekend, none of Mitro, Solanke, BBD or Pirro scored this time around. Better news for Chris Wilder, he got his first win as Borough boss Ditto, Paul Hecking bottom second time around at Sheffield United. Whilst at the bottom, Cardiff, Hull and Reading all won to increase the gap between they and the bottom three. We're going to start, as is often the case this season, with Bournemouth. We don't usually talk about them chucking away points, though, which is what happened here as they let a two-goal lead slip against a dogged Coventry. Uh, Adrian, Scott Parker said he was devastated for his players who'd only had a few days to learn a new system for this game. Struck me as a slightly
6: strange comment, but they shot themselves in the foot here, didn't they? I agree. I'm glad you brought that up. I thought that Scott Parker's quotes after the game were a bit over-emotional, talking about devastation. And also saying that they had fifteen minutes to to go through the new game plan and the new system on the training ground. I mean, you can always make more than fifteen minutes, so so that strikes me as as being nonsensical, really. Um, don't know who clutching. Obviously, he, he he was upset because they they'd thrown away a great position, two 0 up. Red card changes everything, and and I guess the fact that most of his First choice defence were missing. Didn't didn't help matters. I think Smith, Zamora, Cahill, Kelly, all out at the moment. So no doubt frustrated with that and and what happened in the game. So so yeah, look disappointment for them. He went to that new system and it was working. Three four two one was the shape. Wasn't a great game, but they were in control of it. But everything fell apart when when Lerma got sent off. And yes, yeah, just that one lapse, isn't it? A Poor touch little bit stitched up by Jack Stacey's pass towards him, which was sort of hip-high, wasn't it? Not easy to control, but from that moment on, commentary smelt blood and fair play to them. Interesting to
2: see how they respond to this, Nancy, I think, Bournemouth, because Scott Parker's kind of been showered with praise for for most of this season, but the comments that we've spoken about after this game, and and just looking at it, they haven't won in three games, and, and they've only won one of their last five so it's, it's a bit of a wobble and they've got Fulham, Blackburn and revitalised Middlesbrough as their next three games.
5: Yeah they were going so well and then um, obviously well you never really expect a team to go a whole season unbeaten in, in the championship but you know you did wonder how long it was going to be before anyone sort of uh, yeah really took anything off them and, and then obviously that's happened. Um, I think the surprise one maybe was Derby but then they're sort of don't know, being plucky in just about every game that they can, and you know, really uh, going at everyone. But, um, but yeah, the way that this this result just kind of slipped away from them, it's that that daft uh, football term in it, like two 0 being a, a dangerous uh, <laughs> dangerous score or a dangerous lead. But, um, but yeah, it was just I suppose that the key thing then will be just um, them keeping control of the situation, control of their emotions. Because like, Adrian's just said that there's not really any need to react in that way to this result you know Coventry have not laid down in any game this season they've pretty much come back if they've been a goal down or something that you know they're going to fight to the end and, and that's what they are but um but yeah one to keep an eye on I think it'll be about how they manage the next next couple of games which won't be easy
3: before you um, ask me about Coventry, Matt, can I just uh, argue? Uh, argue? Can I just um, disagree with Clarkey for the first time this season? As um, long as you keep
2: it friendly and it doesn't go all Carragher and key.
3: Well, <laughs> I certainly know what the attention span of footballers is. Clarkey does as well. I'm sure Nancy does, considering the amount she interviews. Depends when this injury occurred to Gary Cahill on the Friday. If it's at half past 12, you know, in the last, with the last kick of the ball, I have sympathy for Bournemouth uh, if he's had to change his system that late in the day. However, the counter-argument is he did have Rossi, young centre-half, on the bench who has done quite well when he's played. So he could have gone for his his usual system, his tried and tested system, had he had a little bit more trust in the players that were available. So, yeah, it's, it's happened to me before and it's it's not ideal, is it? But, um, yeah, Lerma playing centre-half is a bit weird.
6: Yeah, yeah. it's In that situation, you lose your centre-half at the last minute. Is it is it not counterproductive to then change everything that you'd pre-planned before and not just slot in a player into the system and shape that you were going to use anyway? Is that is that not?
3: Yeah,
6: yeah, that, that was my
3: second point, really. But we, we don't know the circumstances. You don't know the form of the, the, the younger player. Um, he, he hasn't the defence hasn't been brilliant recently I think we spoke about it on the last podcast miss missing you know, a number of players especially the two left-sided ones so I think maybe he's just probably wanting to go with the added experience of, of Lerma which has backfired
2: uh, Give some love to Coventry Way there then Sam, I think we can all agree that Todd Kane probably didn't mean to score yeah. uh, with that shot <laughs> Now
1: Kane is just going to float in and he's gone all the way in in the fifth minute of stoppage time Todd Kane's first Coventry City goal. And Mark side never know
2: when they're beaten. They've come back again. But yeah. one defeat in seven for them now. And it's one of those, isn't it? Because they, they got the, the two late goals here, everything's rosy in the garden. Whereas had they not done that, we'd have been saying, oh, well, they have drawn the last two nil-nil before then. Maybe they're on the slide. Instead, hey, look, one defeat in seven. Aren't they great?
3: Yeah, and, and Mark Robbins was magnanimous in the... Um, yeah, in that boom with a better side, clearly, until the are off. And Nancy just made the point, though, it's it's not a fluke because that's the sixth time they've come from from a deficit to, to take points. What is a fluke, though, is the, <laughs> the equalising goal. And I don't <laughs> think enough being made of that. I've got a Coventry supporting friend who is giving jip to QPR supporters who have told him, oh, Todd Kane's no good. He's been useless for us, blah, blah, blah. Well, Todd Kane isn't useless, but I'm not letting you have this. As his, his moment, his second coming, because this is a, a fluke. It's caught the wind and it, it's flown into the top corner. But again, another player that AD vivash knows really well. And if anyone can get the best out of an ex Chelsea Academy starlet, um, it, it's AD. So, yeah, this is a really good commentary team. And I thought, um, in terms of the tactical setup, he went to the box midfield. He does it for the bigger away games, did it at Sheffield United and got a point and And. Um, it looked like it wasn't going to have its day but made the change to go to two strikers quite early and, and obviously they got great firepower and and got a great point.
2: Great point for them but I think the game of the day was in South Wales where Swansea and Reading shared five goals but the Royals kept the points all to themselves. Swansea failed to heed the old adage that you're at your most vulnerable once you've scored uh, Nancy they'll really be kicking themselves won't they we'll, we'll give Reading some praise shortly but but for Swansea to concede a minute after scoring twice is unforgivable really
5: yeah it's just obviously we know the type of football they're going to play under Russell Martin and and, and you expect that but it's kind of they've got to get those basics right and, and they got them so wrong so quickly after <laughs> scoring both those goals um, it was just and they had 511 passes more than Reading or something which is mad but like if, if you're overplaying it and you know you're just giving them those opportunities they've not scored in for a long time Danny Drinkwater and, and Andy Carroll but they're still quality players and they always have been so you know you are going to get punished and um, Tom Daley-Bashiri had a great game as well but yeah it's just I think they will be kicking themselves just because of the nature of it the way that they kind of slipped up so quickly after taking the lead you've got to stay switched on haven't you?
2: Clucky, that Andy Carroll goal was genuinely brilliant, I thought. One of the goals of the weekend, Uh, sensational. And I don't know where he pulled it from because it's not the
6: kind of goal you would associate with Andy Carroll. No, and where's he been training all this time? He's been on his own, hasn't he? I'm sure that he's got access to some kind of personal trainer or whatever, but he's been clubless for so long. So the fundamental basics of of playing football can get very rusty, can't they? And There's nothing rusty about that goal, was there? The touch... The pace to get away from from the defense. I mean, Russell Martin might be looking at his, his back three and thinking, right, might need to add a little bit more speed into that rear guard because because they couldn't keep up with him. And then, good composure with the finish, a great celebration as well. He's he's he'd, he'd sort of had had time to to plan out what he was going to do, and he, at least he came up with something something a bit different, didn't he? So yeah, great moment for for Andy Carroll. And if he can stay fit. That's a massive if we all know that, but if he can, then he gives Reading such a, a different outlet, doesn't he? In terms of they can go longer, and and those crosses that they put in the box from the likes of uh, Jari and Swift, etc., that, that they've got a real, real threat in there. So, so yeah, one wonderful goal for him, wonderful moment, and yeah, wish them well, wish him well moving forwards. Uh, he went
2: off injured, but it seems it's not that serious. <laughs> uh, Sam, I'll let you say something sensible and insightful about the game shortly. But first of all, Tweet of the Week. I think this is absolutely vintage from Royals midfielder Tom Bashiru. What a great team performance, boat emoji. And fans were unreal, exclamation mark. We go again at Reading FC, blue heart emoji. I mean, there's a rogue boat emoji in there. But other than that, 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 that is straight from page one of the footballer's Twitter textbook, isn't
3: it? Yeah, it's not good enough. And it's another player who, who's had the best game of his season. And he, he's gone straight on his blower, and he's produced that. It's it's a mess. Yeah, but there was a uh, boat
6: celebrate. It's a boat themed celebration. Yeah, wasn't yeah it?
3: true. In line with the poo last week, I can't remember who did the poo emoji, but the the boat you do get you do get bonus points for a boat. But I want to see it when they lose two at home to Barnsley. You know, I want to see something, <laughs> um, and then I can only judge him then.
2: Okay, fair enough. Uh, have you been impressed with Reading and how they've responded to, uh, after the the points deduction? This feels like a, a big win for them and, and just proof that they're not letting it get them down or send them down even.
3: I kind of do like Reading, and that's probably a bit controversial because I think that Paunovic's position as manager is much debated by the supporters right now. Even kind of in, the, I think the majority will be behind him, obviously after this result. But I don't think the natives are sure. I thought this was a much better performance with the aforementioned Deli Bashiru and, and Halilovic. Wider, higher, a bit more thrust about them. There's a bit of a pass with no purpose that goes on about Reading at, at times. So I thought this was better. And you saw that with the goals. John Swift, again, not known for his aggression and closing people, but he was the catalyst for, I think, a couple of the goals. And, and just having a look yesterday, it looked like um, Danny Drinkwater was playing higher up. Which obviously led to the to the goal, the, the winning goal as it was. He he looked to be in an advanced position in comparison to Josh Laurent, who I'm sure he normally plays alongside. Had double the touches of Laurent in the um, opposition's half. So normally a four-two-three-one looked like there was a little tinker at the the weekend, and it's got them a great result. And do you know what? I'm really I'm thrilled about the older players that he signed because it's sad, isn't it, when you see people like Drinkwater and Carroll and stuff on the scrap heap and. You know, all of them are doing really well. Even Baba Rahman had a great game by all accounts. So it'd be great if those guys can turn their careers around, drink water especially, because, you know, that's been a real fall from grace.
6: Yeah, I'm with you completely on that. I, yeah, he, he, it's such a high winning the title and being brilliant in that, that season for Leicester. And then his career fell off a cliff. It was It was weird, really, wasn't it? Um, that's what you get I suppose if you join Chelsea um, but there you go we won't go there <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking he's got
2: 130,000 reasons every week to not feel too yeah. bad about it so let's not, not have too much sympathy on
6: on Sam's point about his positioning I think it's clever from Paunovic I really do because he accepted that Swansea would have all the ball he was like we're not going to pass the ball this game we're not going to even try to our, our framework our tactical game plan is all about squeezing them in the in the areas where we want to win the ball back. And that is obviously around the halfway line and just just beyond. And I think by stepping up that midfielder to go and join and hunt alongside the attacking midfielders and, and the front men, it, it created that extra pressure where they, they got those two goals for, from turnovers, didn't they, Reddy? So I think it was a, an excellent tactical performance from Panovic and a really aggressive one from his players. And yeah, it shows that they've got that other side to their, to their makeup too.
2: How about Blackburn, eh? Since that home humiliation by Fulham, they've won three of four, drawing the other. Their latest success came against Stoke in the Potteries. It lifted Rovers up to the giddy heights of fourth. Here's what Tony Mowbray had to say on that 7-0 defeat. Uh, I was brought up on a council estate in a steel town. And when somebody punches you in the face, you have to fight back. A bit bit needlessly aggressive, but but you take his (laughs) point, Nancy. He's managed to get his team fighting back.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what the what the response is to being punched in the face. What the like adequate uh, analogy is for that, but um, but yeah, the, I mean you know we talked about Bournemouth there and and maybe Stoker in a similar position to a slightly different extent with you know two defeats in a row now. But that's how you that's how you respond, isn't it? That's you know I mean seven nils, pretty serious hammering, and then it's like it's never happened. They've you know bounced back and back up to up to fourth now, and yeah. I mean, whatever he said to him, um, <laughs> and I'm sure there was a few maybe choice words a bit stronger than than that quote, um, it, it's clearly worked. And um, it, was, it was a great strike as well from Cadre, uh, was wasn't it? On, he's on loan from Brighton. So I thought that was a properly clinical finish that as well.
2: Sam, have they got the staying power to, to stick where they are? And does that depend on reports that we're, we're seeing this morning that Ben Brereton-Diaz is being linked with Southampton and Sevilla? in January a cost of £20 million uh,
3: yeah 100% I think I said it the last time we discussed them the speculation about a number of their players because rightly so because a lot of them have come through the system there by all accounts, Buckley was incredible at the weekend both sides of the game as well breaking up play but real poise with it you know players you don't hear spoken about a lot Travis Rothwell Wharton's having an incredible time at the moment but Yeah, Brereton is the the main one in that and I think it shows how far they've they've come that they they should have been more convincing at the weekend they said it was a big game because they're two teams that could potentially crash the playoffs this year and I think Blackburn at the moment showed at the weekend that they got more that's more than Stoke um really poor conditions poor game but you know more shots look more threatening throughout and you know if the fan Response is anything to to go by. Stoke fans bitterly
2: disappointed with with that display. So
3: yeah, uh, on on an up for um, for Blackburn,
2: but Stoke, Clarkey. I mean, they're like an advert for the unpredictability of the Championship, aren't they, At the moment, lost three in a row, drew one, won three in a row. Now they've lost two in a row. There's there's not much consistency about that.
6: There isn't, but but then they've they're decimated, aren't they? They've got so many good players that are either injured or suspended at the moment that. That they're bound to be vulnerable, I think, in, in a lot of areas. They, they really are down to the bare bones. Yeah, they got outran, didn't they, by, by Blackburn. They kept surging through the middle. We've talked about it before with, with Sam and I, with a central midfield. In, the, in this example, it was Vrancic and romain Sawyers alongside each other. Uh, and it's a midfield that's f- considerably better with the ball than without it. And and they were just striding through, through holes in, inside that engine room by all accounts, did you see this about Romain Sawyers got, got named sponsors Man of the Match and it, the whole, the entire stadium just jeered as loudly as they could in response to it. I mean, it's not, it's not ideal, is it? I mean, having played for South End United when we were having some really bad times and it's obligatory to sort of hand out a Man of the Match, it has happened probably to me and to, to teammates where, where you know, you're just going to get battered because of the state of play but, yeah, There's only one thing worse that, than that. Yeah, go on.
3: Clarkie, that's the ironic the ironic cheers when your number goes up as a substitute. <laughs> yeah.
6: Yeah. That's the only nice. thing worse. It's not nice. It really isn't. Yeah. That that may have happened. <laughs> um but yeah, it's not it's not cool. Um but but Stoke fans are overreacting. I think they are. Now. I mean it was a horrible day. It's really really windy. It's never going to be pretty. They're up against a rejuvenated Rovers team. They're decimated by injuries as I've explained I, I think I can forgive Stoke this performance I think the fans should, should maybe just just back off a little bit um, Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, I'm sure they'll be back
2: Perhaps a nice illustration of modern day Britain That you had people booing voting Remain um, Just kind of sums up where we are, doesn't it? I suppose on Sunday, Paul Heckingbottom got his second spell of the year in charge of Sheffield United underway with a 2-0 win over Bristol City. Joining us to tell us more is the Athletic's sharpest blade, Richard Sutcliffe. Uh, Richard, you're known as Sooty, so that must mean that Nancy Sweep, if she's the, um, the Wednesday half of, of the divide. Um, you've written a piece for the Athletic today about how things went for Paul Heckingbottom and what, he knows, what you, what you noticed from that game. Can you give us a, a brief
1: summary? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more adventurous, possibly, uh, on the ball than they were under uh, Jukanovic, which you know, obviously is a surprise, you bearing in mind how his Fulham and Watford teams play. Um, they just got the ball forward a bit earlier, got the wing-backs forward as well, which was more of a feature than it had been under Jukanovic, and, uh, and got the ball in the area because they'd been one of the accusations against Sheffield United in the last few weeks that they've been quite boring to watch, which I do see how some people were suggesting that.
2: Um, we, the outsiders, were were pretty shocked at Ikanovic kind of getting the boot.
1: Were you? I wasn't because I'd heard that there were rumblings that a changes were afoot. I still think it's a nonsensical decision. If I'm honest, you bring a guy in on you know on, on a big contract because obviously your, your CV has got it warrants that you bring him in, and then you don't really back him with the money to actually turn it into the team that he wants. You know, every manager needs to transfer windows minimum for me to get his own side and I think we all thought this squad that came down out of the Premier League it had so much championship pedigree that it would you know it'd be quite if you got it just turn it round and it would have it'd be sort of fit for purpose in terms of going straight back up but it to me it's it's not it's not a squad that's really ready for that I think it's there's too many players have gone down the other other side of the hill in terms of their peak years really and uh you know, He wanted a couple of wingers, which there's no wingers in the club because that's not how Chris Wilder played. And he wanted a holding midfielder in January. And reading between the lines, I don't think the club have got the money to bring those players in. Hence why it's now going to be sticking to what they've got and trying to utilise a bit more youth under Paul Heckingbottom.
2: So that would explain then why they appointed Heckingbottom and gave him such a long contract. Because he, he will just kind of happily work with what he's given rather than ask for some money to spend
1: that's it you know we had a again nonsensical comment at the at the um, press conference last Thursday where it was said that Paul won't necessarily be judged on what happens on a Saturday afternoon which has just caused utter utter ridicule in Sheffield <laughs> but it sort of gives you an insight into what people are thinking in uh, in terms of the board because they want to see united world incorporated more they want to see youth brought through whereas you know this is a club that has the biggest gates in the championship there's expectations and demands that go with that and finishing 18th in a season, but you bring a few youth players through, I'm afraid that won't cut it.
6: No, I completely agree with you. I, th- I just think it's crazy as well to dish out a six-year deal. How, how many managers last last six years? It's, it's, it's foolish in my opinion. And, and this United World business, can you just explain it a little more? Because for me, look at, from the outside looking in, the other clubs may benefit from from, bringing, from taking some of Sheffield United's younger players on loan. Chateau, Beershot, a couple of clubs around the world as well. But, but what, what are they going to get out of it at Bramwell Lane? And I don't see, with all due respect, I don't see those clubs producing the next generation of talent that we're going to see
1: out there in the Championship. Totally agree. Totally agree. Obviously, it's, it's Prince, Prince Abdullah's setup, set up and he's got five clubs. You know, he's got one who are bottom of the uh, Belgian division, a French side who are now in Division 3, who are fifth. And the other two in India and uh, and Dubai who are so far off the standard for even the championship that they're not on the radar. And so far, it does seem it's all geared towards beer shot because the Sheffield United players are going out there. Femi Siriki, who made his debut in the Premier League last year, really good attacking right back, right wing back. He went out there and he's played something like six minutes and he's already back in Sheffield, he, even though he can't play until January because it just wasn't working for him. And, it's you know, we see a lot of these, you know, it, it works at Man City's level. And I, I, I like the concept, you know, because if you've not got... As Sheffield United have shown, they've gone up and they've done exactly what a lot of teams do. Huddersfield Town, another team from Yorkshire. You spend 70 £80, 90000000 million pounds on transfers. You hang around for a year in the Premier League and then gravity brings you down. And you go down after this boom and bust, with not a penny left really, and it's all siphoned off into players' pockets or agents' pockets. So you need a new approach. But I don't think bringing players in, you know, from with all due respect, India, Dubai, and the second tier of uh, of Belgium or the third division, even though it's a very good academy at Chatteron, there's some fantastic talent coming through. I don't, again, I don't think it's going to cut it. And like I say, I like the concept. But I think it works at Man City's level where they can buy the very best clubs and maybe even Leicester and Chelsea obviously have feeder clubs over the years but I'm yet to be convinced by this and it's a long-term project we keep getting told which is sort of five, six, ten years down the line but they've gone all in now after a year. So it's all the, you know, we're on a roulette table and we've moved everything off doing it, you know, doing sort of 10% that way and 90% this way. It's all in on United World and... I think that's a risk if I'm uh, if I'm being honest,
3: Richard. Every time we speak about Sheffield United on the pitch this season, it, it seems to always be about the forward players. They've got a load of options, but no one's really pulled up trees so far. How, how impressive was Rian Brewster yesterday? Could that be a turning point for him? And 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 who are the guys to potentially fire them up the table and get them close to those playoffs?
1: Yeah, well, Rian's the one that you, you. Everyone's desperate for it for it to work for him because. If, if I'm honest, it, it was a strange signing in the fact that he came in and you watch the goals he scored for Swansea and the goals he scored for Liverpool and in England in the under-17s in the World Cup and they're all about getting the ball into the box first time and he just cracks it first time without really thinking, bit of a predator. And yet Sheffield United under Chris Wilder were all about building overloads out wide in personnel and only then do you get the ball into the box, which that's not how he worked. That continued under Slav, if I'm honest. Though the last three games, they've started to be a bit more direct and got the ball in the box. He got a belting goal from a first-time cross at Blackburn. He ran the channels, which was the big thing that I noticed at Reading, because as, as much as Sheffield United have not been playing for him, he hasn't helped himself either. That He's just basically waiting for somebody to give him a chance, whereas they need him to run the channels. Like Billy Sharp. when he's playing up front on his own, he does everything you expect of that sort of striker. And Billy's got, I think it's five goals and six assists this season, so... He's been the standout striker. But I do think if Sheffield United are going to do anything this season, it will be by getting a tune out of Rhian Brewster. And there's been hope, you know, there's been signs over these last three games, much more than over the previous 15 months. But then typical of the way it's gone for him, you know, he came off with a hamstring injury yesterday. So we're trying to, we're waiting to find out how bad that is. But it would be typical if he's finally started showing a bit. And like I say, a cracking goal against Blackburn, a really good turn and finish yesterday. And then to get an in, uh, to get an injury like that would just about sum up his time at Sheffield United. Poor Ian uh,
2: Richard, thank you. That was brilliant. Uh, hopefully there'll be there'll be more to cheer for Sheffield United in the second half of the season. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Richard Sutcliffe. There, read him only in the Athletic, and grab a third of a subscription by heading to theathletic.com. Slash league show. Uh, right, let's get some odds courtesy of Paddy Power and producer Abby. Abby, what's the weekend's championship results done to the outright markets, please?
4: Well, interestingly, I'm looking at the top six finish, and you can't bet on Fulham. Bournemouth or West Brom to finish in the top six and Coventry, Stoke and QPR are all at the same odds. They're all 11 to 10. So in a way, it's kind of sorted. But if we look a bit further down, we've got Blackburn at 9 to 5 as are Sheffield United, Swansea at 7 to 2. And if we scroll all the way down, all the way down to Forest, that's 5 to 1 to finish in the top six.
2: It's just so unnecessary, isn't it? Seems a bit strange that Blackburn and Sheffield United are the same price to get promoted, but there we go, what do I know? Uh, thanks, Abby, sort of thanks. Sort of obliged to say it. Thanks, Abby. League One next. <laughs>
0: FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu.
4: Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League Show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show.
2: Uh, League One headlines. Three teams on 38 points at the top. They've all played a different amount of games. Sunderland win. They're only three points off the automatic places, with games in hand on two of the teams above them. But they'll be without injured duo Luke 09, and Aidan McGeady for the foreseeable. Uh, Pompey are now on a run of six wins in a row. Steve Evans refused Cowley's handshake at full-time. The Portsmouth boss said, Steve is just quite an unreasonable man when he loses. Uh, and Shrewsbury are out of the relegation zone. They've taken four points off Sunderland and Charlton in their last two games. Uh, now then, Adrian, you've got to handle this with kid gloves, I know, but does three defeats in a row constitute a crisis for Plymouth? They went down 2-1 to a late, late winner for Wigan on what was an emotional day for them following Charlie White's collapsing training on Thursday um, yeah, this time last week, we were saying, oh, one defeat, it's not the end of the world. All of a sudden, it's three defeats. Uh, how are you feeling about about I, the team being raced off before can... a ball was kicked?
6: <laughs> I don't think you can call anything a crisis when you're still in the promotion shake-up, can you? I mean, it's it's a setback, not a crisis. A crisis is if you're right at the bottom end of the division and it's all falling apart. So, so no, I wouldn't give up on them. Uh, they were just beaten by the better team. Wigan always score at least two goals away from home, don't they? They've done it in every single match, at least two, since the first game of the season at Sunderland. So they are a tough team to play when you're on home turf. I thought that that Ryan Lowe made a made a big call just before half-time. It happened to me once down at Bournemouth. Alvin Martin hooked me after about 37, 38 minutes. Luke Jeffcott got to 40, I think, when he got hooked for tactical reasons, and um, and Jordan Garrick came on and, and made the goal straight away for them. So so he was decisive from the dugout, but it's not much he can do when when the team don't bring their shooting boots. One shot on target, 15 efforts, and they were nullified. I think I think Wigan played Plymouth well. The back three got the distances right. They didn't give any space for Hardy to make those clever little bursts in behind and. And, and their front two are on fire at the moment for Wigan. So, yeah, no, I think it's one of those. These three games, wipe it. Almost forget about it and just pick, pick yourself up for the next one. Sam, how do, how do the strikers feel
2: when, when you get stats like that, where you have loads and loads of efforts and, and you end up losing the game and, and, and not scoring as many goals as you should? I ask that because the same thing happened to Plymouth in midweek against Wickham. They had loads and loads of opportunities but didn't score. At what point do you, do you kind of say, well, we need to do some work in training on finishing or you know, you're looking at yourself and, and do you take that burden of responsibility as the, as the number nine?
3: Yeah, you worry about your, you worry about yourself. To be honest, um, if you start pointing fingers, this is talking about the rest of the team. You you know, you it's collective, it's collective thing. So I, I wouldn't like to think that that you know there'll be pointing pointing fingers at the strikers because they've had brilliant seasons, Jeffcott and and Hardy, and they've won them a lot of points in the early part. It's about other people popping up with goals as well. I've been there, and you, you know that when you're not pulling your weight or when you're not playing well so you don't need anyone to tell you in their favour at the moment they've got Ennis to come back which gives them a great option at League One level Niall Ennis sorry um, so you know he he's going to add to the options for Ryan Lowe I think the other thing is Broom was on the bench the other day can he get Broom and Mayer into the same side I mean it would be exciting um, it would probably be a lot of work for Jordan Houghton at the base of the midfield but that's something that maybe Ryan Lowe's going to look at because I think he's so wedded to this system, which has got him great success, particularly at Bury and and obviously subsequently at Plymouth. I spoke about maybe him having a look at something else, but I think the personnel changes is the first thing that's going to happen there rather than him tinker with the system. But it's a bit of a concern, but I said going into this weekend, um, that's just passed. They've had some massive games and and Wigan had the luxury of a little bit of a rest. So they're a powerful side. They're going to be they're going to be top two Wigan, I would say.
2: Would you agree with that, Nancy? And do you think that Sheffield Wednesday fans kind of can't cast envious glances toward Wigan because similar kind of situations for the clubs over the last two years off the pitch and yet Wigan got the rich new owner to come in and, and not only spend a load of money but, but do it in the right way, it would seem.
5: Yeah, um, I did a, a piece um, on Wigan a bit earlier in the season and at the time I think um, thinking Everett had kind of gone for them for signing too many players in the transfer window or, you know, players that apparently Bolton couldn't afford and that sort of thing. But but yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think Wednesday will be jealous of how things played out at Wigan. I don't think any fan wants to go through that. But um but definitely I I think they're they're the sort of team where obviously they're already up there anyway, but you sort of expect them to be there and finish strong. Whereas I suppose maybe the challenge for a club like Plymouth is hanging around, making sure they don't drop off because like you seen with Wednesday at the minute. You know what looked like a fairly rubbish start to the season. Actually, now they've put a bit of a run together, and and they're coming sort of hitting their stride, and the the players are coming back. So I suppose it's um, it's about staying in the mix. But yeah, with Wigan, like, they've got a really exciting manager as well with uh, Liam Richardson. Um, equally, Ryan Lowe though, like between those two clubs, two really exciting managers to to watch, and um, and yeah, plenty of uh, plenty of goals coming from from Wigan. Um, so. Yeah, they're they're ones to watch for sure.
2: Yeah, lots of good gaffers in League One at the moment to keep an eye on. Uh, We mentioned Wednesday there. Given we've got our favourite footballing ornithologist on, we probably would have chatted about them anyway. But given that they had a 2-2 with Wickham that can be categorised as feisty on and off the pitch, uh, they've made the running order on merit. Uh, What's the weather like around Wednesday at the moment then, Nancy? I mean, snowy specifically on Saturday, but, but metaphorically...
5: Sunnier than when I last spoke to you. Yeah, I've, I think I said like I wanted to bring happy news. I bring happier news. You know, it's still not joyous, but um, but no, I mean they were drawing too too many games. Now they're ten unbeaten. So I guess if you can, you know, draw to a point where you then win and you know Darren Moore doesn't lose his job then it looks like a good run whereas um we, I can't remember which team we said that about in the championship but you know if if you then lose one then it looks like a bad run so um no they they're doing well Massimo Luongo and Josh Windass both back from injury which has been massive I think um Windass I think's got two in two um the key thing will be keeping Luongo fit because he's been brilliant every time he played he's played for Wednesday since he signed from QPR but it's just getting him on the pitch in the first place, which has been the the real issue. Um, and it's a shame that he's, I think it was his 50th game for Wednesday, um, which in just over two seasons sort of probably speaks to his his injury problems. But, um, but yeah, they've got Josh Windass back and he'll definitely, you know, take those chances where I think sometimes the players they've got have, have not quite been able to. Um, and but yeah, a draw against Wickham. I don't know, Wickham have been a, a really tough... Opponent for Wednesday in the last, well, last season. And obviously, you know, this was a good game as well. So it's probably a good result all round.
2: Sam Wickham got their mojo back a little bit in the last couple of weeks, it would seem. Heck of a free kick from uh, Jordan Abita here too.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think looking back over this game, it seems that the Wednesday supporters leave the happier um, for the reasons that Nancy's just discussed it sounds like it was a really energetic display from them and and Wickham had big problems with Wednesday's two wide players uh, and Gareth Haynes have changed the shape which um, was was surprising after the Plymouth victory so I think it was a Beater and McCarthy had a tough tough afternoon up against Hunt and, and Shadipo so and they're a bit patched up in midfield Dave Wheeler my old muckers playing in central midfield at the moment which uh, Dave's an incredible athlete and I an, just um, a brilliant team player. So I'm sure it's not too much of a problem, but you'd want someone who's more an orthodox central midfielder, of course. And a really attacking lineup, I noticed as well, again, for Wickham, which Gareth Ainsworth's doing, you know, away from home um, at Fleetwood recently. He played Vokes, um, hadn't. Lund and Akinfen were from the off and this was not the same personnel but another open looking Wickham side so they're playing expansive stuff right now um but yeah I think a few problems in terms of the setup but I have no, no worries about Wickham like I don't with you know with Wigan Rotherham they'll be they've got the power they've got the know-how to to be jostling at the top end of the table and this was another point uh, on the board.
2: So, Adrian, we mentioned three teams on 38 points. Wickham are one of those, but you kind of feel like they're third favourites behind Rotherham and and Wigan. Would you say that's right? Do you see them sticking around?
6: Oh, it's a good question. Wigan are are powerful, as Sam said. Got real threats all over the pitch. Rotherham are great at both ends, aren't they? They create the most chances and, and give you the fewest at the other end. So, I would put those two ahead of them, but... For fixture list fans out there, and I know there are plenty of them, um, Wickham have faced the top eight away from home already. All of them. So they've got all the easier halves, so apparently easier halves of those of those ties to come at their place in the second half of the season. So So that might count for something. They've only actually won one of these sort of tough away games, and that was at Plymouth recently so they've had a very hard start to the campaign and and their fixtures do get a bit kinder so just keep your eye on them I thought for the equalizing goal obviously it was a sensational free kick from Jordan Abita but credit the goalkeeper as well David Stockdale brilliant volley kick out of his hands to catch the Wednesday defense off guard and in particular Callum Patterson who I've seen already this season play striker right wing I think right back this time he played left side centre-back and he's knocked it over his head. They're scrambling, they commit the foul and and, and then Wickham score. So, so yeah, Stockdale deserves a little sort of um, a, a nod of approval there because that was excellent goalkeeping.
2: Abby, uh, Wickham, promotion odds-wise, what's the deal?
4: Well, you said they must be third favourites. Paddy have them down as fourth favourites to be promoted. It's Rotherham who are the favourites, two to five, then Wigan, five to six, then Sunderland, uh, Evans, which is a bit of a question mark, though, I would suggest. And uh, Wickham coming in to be promoted 15 to 8. So if you listen to what Clarkey's been saying, if you are a fixture list fan, that might be something to keep your eye on. Um, quite incredibly, I would say. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday more likely to be promoted than Plymouth on Paddy Powers. Odds uh, Wednesday 4 to 1, Plymouth 5 to 1, as are Portsmouth.
0: Uh, right, we'll go to league two next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
4: This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams.
2: League Two headlines. Can anyone catch Forest Green Rovers? They are six points clear at the top after their latest victory. Elsewhere, Paul Tisdale signed up to be Stevenage manager. More on that momentarily. Northampton are up to second after they beat Orient. Scunthorpe's slow and steady journey up the hill continues. They've now drawn three of their last four. And you know that cliche about the roof coming off the stadium? Well, it literally happened at Tranmere, so they had to call off their game with Stevenage. Uh, It's a club with which you have an association, Adrian. Initially, well, you put on the group chat, oh, they've done well to get him. And then I thought, mm, yeah, kind of. But his last couple of jobs have been a total bust.
6: So maybe he's done well to get them too. I don't know. I think, yeah, in his current situation, he just needs to get back in the game, doesn't he, Paul Tisdale? If he wants to have those aspirations to to climb the ladder as a gaffer again, he just needed to get in. And I don't think it's the worst job in the world. Stevenage are ambitious. They're not the biggest club in the country by any stretch of the imagination they're not super rich but but the chairman there does you know push the boat out as much as he can and he will back his managers and i think they've got some some half decent players there obviously elliot list has scored eight goals he's the he's the star man really but but it's not the worst squad in the division to have to work with and and over the years, obviously, Sam knows this better than anyone else on this podcast. He's got a good record, hasn't he, of bringing through young players, developing teams on a fairly limited budget. Um, great success with Exeter. Got promoted with MK Dons, remember? That wasn't that long ago. And, and the Bristol Rovers thing, he, he was only there five minutes. So I don't think that we can hammer him f- f- for that. I think he was he was shipped out very, very quickly. So, no, I still think that he is a very good manager and that he can improve that team. I, I, without, you know, this sounded too harsh on Alex Ravel, who was the man in charge. I mean, Paul Tisdale's CV tells you that he should be a considerable upgrade.
2: Uh, Sam, you've played under him. What's the first day going to be like for those Stevenage players under him this Monday as we record? Will it be teacups getting chucked or egos getting stroked?
3: Uh, apart from Jake Taylor and Jamie Reed, who... I think Jack, Jake Taylor played for him, but certainly Jamie Reid. It'll probably be the most the, the most interesting day of all their careers in terms of what a manager serves up, because it was very unique for me at the end of my career. I'd never met a manager like Paul Tisdale. To be honest, he's not to everyone's taste, but it's different. You know, he's very very detailed in what he does. They'll there'd be different methods. Different methods, maybe t- in terms of what they've they've um, they've met in their careers so far. I agree with with Clarkey. I think League Two is his record stands up incredibly well. Promoted with Exeter and MK Dons. I think it's the next challenge, League One, where there's always been question marks latterly about about him. But if this was a Stevenage that was going to play, you know, different, more exciting football this season they will try and play winning football. He looks at every individual game on its own merits, how his team can get joy. And if that means booming it from the fullback to a centre forward, he'll do that on occasions. If it means playing out through midfield, then they'll do that at times as well. So I can't give you a definitive style. What he is is a very detailed forward-thinking manager who who looks at the data and picks his team accordingly so it would have been an interesting first day they'd probably all be going home going God, this this guy's a bit different um my first day at exeter he asked me firstly uh if i played cricket because they were playing against one of the that was the first thing he said to me uh because they were playing a local village team um in the, the pre-season and then i think i said no sheepishly then they asked me if they played golf because there was a, a golf day coming up around the corner as well. So we didn't discuss my assets as a footballer until well into the into the hour. But um, no, I I, I can play golf now. At that point, I couldn't. But, so but you no, just
2: disappointed I, him twice. I,
3: yeah, I disappointed him twice and then um, horrified him when he saw that I was no good at football anymore either. So <laughs> it, it wasn't a match made in heaven. Although we, we, we shared a, a few nice meals out. We used to go to Strada and use our 50% off in Exeter and... Um, oh, just, well, you and, we, just you and Paul. Uh, Matt Oakley was the link. Matt Oakley, who was okay. obviously Tiz's mate towards the end, so it, it was it was quite unique. It was quite yeah. interesting for me. Did but, you
6: not feel on edge in case one of the other lads spotted you? Manager's son, Well, I wasn't that manager's son
3: because I played about three games, Matt. So it got a little bit <laughs> it got a little bit uncomfortable after the thirtieth Saturday where I'd sat on the bench and I was still sharing that one wonderful pesto pomodoro bread with him on a Friday <laughs> afternoon.
6: <laughs> uh, There's yeah. the title
2: of the pod, Abby. Wonderful pesto, pomodoro, bread. Um, Nancy, you ought to be able to keep them up, Auntie. I mean, they're on eighteen points. They're only three above the relegation zone. But you've got the car crash that is Oldham and and Scunthorpe, who've won twice out of nineteen games. So he should be able to get them over the line. You'd think.
5: Yeah, and um, it, it feels like that's the way, isn't it? In League Two, it's normally some sort of disaster club at the bottom, which is. Typically, how bad you have to be to um, to drop out of the you know of the league really. Um, and I was speaking to a few uh, national league chairmen for for something else a couple of weeks ago, and, and they were saying like it's it's one thing to get out of the national league, but actually you know they quite fancy themselves to stay up. Obviously, there's that old record of no one ever going straight back down. But um, you know it it kind of um, being more of a concern for a lot of clubs at, at the latter end of. Uh, of League Two in terms of whether they'd actually then ever get back to the national, uh, back to the EFL. So, but yeah, yeah. I mean, look, someone said it there about like winning football. As long as as long as the results come, fans will be happy with that, won't they? So, um, yeah, winning football is always a winning recipe, uh, <laughs> as long as uh, yeah, as long as the results follow the the style, I suppose.
2: Well, speaking of winning football, Forest Green Rovers beat Bristol Rovers two nil on Saturday wasn't aware that this was a derby apparently it is uh, Jamil Matt got the brace uh, they finished with 10 men but it didn't matter Sam you shaking your head at the concept of that being a derby because you're not shaking your head at the mention of Jamil Matt I know that he's one of your oh,
3: boys Jamil, I love him um, it's not a derby and the reason it's not a derby is because everyone was saying that Forest Green Rovers against Swindon Town was a derby recently when I was at that game that's not a derby it's not a rivalry it's nothing it's just down the road, um, so yeah, uh, Bristol's further, surely, isn't it? So that's not forty-nine a minutes
2: if you if you get the traffic right,
3: is it? Mm. Uh, it's, well, it's it's forty-nine minutes to the bottom of that hill, and then it's another <laughs> half an hour to get up to the top to the car park. Uh, but I love going to Forest Green, and they are brilliant at the moment. Um, and Jamil Matt, I think that's seventeen goal contributions for him. Clarkey asked me who I'd have over him and Harry Smith on last week's podcast, and. Jamil Matt has uh, given us the answer there. But I felt just looking at the team to get Ebu Adams and Aitchison in the same side. They've been kind of the, the two number tens, if you like. But Ebu Adams played a bit deeper in this game. And I think he, he's their most important player along with Matt. And that gives them even more firepower if that's uh, if that's possible. And um, yeah, they're, they're going brilliantly. Two really convincing home victories. And with, with Kane Wilson not playing... It looked like Haddon really stepped up in, in this game. I think he put 11 of their 15 crosses in. So he really stepped up and, and still supplied that amazing quality from the wide areas that they have.
2: Clarky I'm just looking at the league table as a layman that I am. I'm seeing that they've scored more goals than everybody else and their goal difference is 10 better than the teams below them. So that's a, a vital cog uh, in the wheel of their success so far, isn't it? Basically, if you score
6: goals, you're going to win games. They're a very strong team and they don't need a lot of the ball to hurt you. As, as this match proves, I think they had 43% of possession but were never out of control of the game where, where they're so good because they're statistically they're the best pressing team in League One, Forest Green. So they, they don't mind other teams having it because they, they're they so good at winning it back that they find space from those turnovers and that's where they, they can punish... The opposition, there's a, there's loads to like about Forest Green Rovers uh, this season under Rob Edwards and yeah, a little bit like Wigan. I, I find it hard to see them outside of the automatic promotion places this time around. Can I just say I, re- I really enjoyed the last goal. Um, it was a penalty, but th- there were three things in the build-up that just tickled me. Huge wind-assisted goal kick from McGee. I think any kind of wind-affected Um, football is is slightly funny and it just ballooned over everybody and got them scrambling as he went back the the Bristol player Robbie Gotts pulled his hammy (laughs) mid-sprint leaving the Forest Green player to basically say oh okay I'm just going to skip around you now and then of course the the, the handball on the edge of the box was a block just outside the area and again that's slightly funny if you don't like Joey Barton, so so for three reasons that that last goal um, amused me. You, you probably t- couldn't get two more polar opposite clubs: from Forest Green
3: Rovers and Stoke City. Yet Forest Green Rovers must be the most weather affected ground in the country, <laughs> like the the Britannia. It has to be the net top of the hill. It's always snowing, driving rain. It's it's mad, but. It'd be interesting if they're playing on a more, I don't know, flat, flatter, flatter landscape when they move grounds. Surely that would be uh, that'll be key.
2: Time will tell with that one. They're a fascinating club, aren't they, Nancy Forest Green? Because you think if they if they do go up this season, it looks as though there's, there's a good chance. What, what's their what's their level? What, what's the limit that they can reach? Because obviously not a massively well-supported club, but uh, but they're running in a really interesting way and they've got an owner who's got deep pockets. So you kind of feel like maybe League One wouldn't be the limit for them. Maybe it would take a, a while to get up to being a championship side, but if the likes of Wickham can do it over, over a long period, there's no reason why they can't eventually kind of rub shoulders in, in tier two, maybe.
5: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um... Forest Green and my team on FIFA actually, and I've just got them promoted <laughs> to the championship. So, well, so there you go. Um, <laughs> but,
2: um,
5: but no, look, I, I love them. I think they're a brilliant club, and um, absolutely agree that that is not a derby because I'm from Wiltshire originally, so I feel like I can definitely, <laughs> you know, sort of my end. I can, I can uh, claim that as, as not being a derby. But yeah, no, they're, they're super interesting. I mean, um, they've got really interesting stuff going on with the with the academy and kind of the the players that they're able to pick up. Um, that have like dropped out of maybe Southampton or um, Cardiff, Swansea like all around that area you know it's it's a bit of a hotbed in terms of being able to attract that type of um, type of young player and obviously they, they have historically been getting a chance playing for Forest Green so yeah I, I don't see why they couldn't get to the Championship especially like you say with the owner new stadium coming um, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on there and yeah wants to watch
6: yeah, Burton did it, Yeovil did it, I wouldn't say that they're much bigger than, than Forest Green Rovers and as sort of a follow-up, I just can't get my head around, Nancy, how do you got time to play football manager? I mean, you work You work for The Athletic, you've got to be out there getting stories every single day, I mean, I just don't know how you manage
5: that. Um, I, I was off three days last week with a horrendous cold, so that was it. hadn't hadn't touched it <laughs> for about six months before, um, but yeah. Yeah, I'd left it halfway through League One and then got it sorted, got it over the line. Well,
6: congratulations. <laughs>
5: Thank
2: you. Uh, I am I am contractually obliged at this point to uh, point out that The Athletic do have a podcast all about football manager, a young upstart called Ian McIntosh. Never heard of him. He hosts that. Uh, so check it out on all the usual podcast platforms if you so desire. Sam, you're looking down at your notes in a way that I think indicates to me that, like me, you have... Either no interest or no ability to play football manager.
3: Oh, Louise bought it for me when we just had the first baby, and I got—I think I got QPR to the to the fringes of the the, the playoffs, and um, lost interest. So I th- did the that's... same
2: after after Chapman ninety seven ninety eight. I you did I did Ibrahima used to. Back of Yoko.
3: I'm not interested. I had um in the back garden where, where I grew up. though, we had the um the gate was forever open because my best mate lived next door, and I just used to creep into his house onto like the one computer the family computer and just play for hours on end when the mum and dad were probably in the house pottering about and I was just up there just signing Neil Lamptey I think was the, <laughs> the, the guy <laughs> at the time Coventry fans
2: yeah I always got Neil Cox he was the only player who'd come to Forest in the budget that I had and then we'd get relegated uh, anyway, we digress. Uh, Abby, can you give us some odds on, on League Two and on, on actual football rather than pretend football?
4: I think your audition to go on Ian's show has gone very well, though. Um, <laughs> top three finish. Uh, Forest Green, you can still bet on them to finish in the top three. They're 1-7, though. Then Exeter are the second favourites at 21-10. to 10. Northampton, fifth favourites, despite being second in the table. They're 5-2. to two. And uh, Sam's beloved Swindon, third favourites to finish in the top three, 11-5.
2: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, we're just about done for today. Before we go, in honour of the replay between Exeter and Bradford in the FA Cup happening this week, I wondered which team did you feel like you were always coming up against in your playing-slash-supporting days? Um, Nancy, I'm not sure if you want to out yourself as a fan of one particular team, but we know that you're Wiltshire based. So was there somebody from around that way who you always found your side coming up against?
5: Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to out myself. I feel like I have uh, in, in the past. Um, Southampton are, are my team, so... Um, I don't know, I feel like uh perpetually we're playing Liverpool every week and getting stuff for now, but maybe that's just <laughs> my you know short memory um <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I mean the game that just sticks in my head as um happening every week is um Forest against West Brom on a Friday night um that is <laughs> oh, the Friday yeah. night kickoff, isn't it.
2: Yeah, what a stingy game that was as well. Um, It used to be for Forest Spurs, but that was like 20 years ago and now it's Warsaw or somebody like that and we always lose against Warsaw. So that's pretty depressing. Um, Sam, did you have a team that you always played against and and felt like you'd played them last week?
3: Yeah, in the first few years, it was Peterborough United. Um, I don't know, just I had loads of loan moves and always seemed to start with a trip to London Road, which is wonderfully... Old fashioned. I hope it still is. Um, it but is. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was brilliant playing there, and I always scored as well. And it was close enough for some friends to come up from London, so I got real happy memories going there. And Abby will notice. I've recently been watching Big Ron Manager on YouTube because we've got another baby, so I'm up in the middle of the night again. And if you haven't seen it, I urge you to go and watch it on YouTube because it's the best television ever. It's incredible. And I think it was probably just just after these years I'm talking about. So a lot of the players I played against, and they used to sign a lot of lads from London clubs, Jimmy Bullard, Adam Newton. So I don't know. I knew a lot of the players and seeing them in this reality show with Big Ron, it is majestic. Go and watch it.
2: Who, who do you think regrets being part of a football documentary more, John Sitton or Steve Bleasdale?
3: Uh, do you know what? I've probably It's got to be John Sitton because John Sitton... I don't know, he seems like a really bright fellow when I've heard him him speak. And obviously he's had that and it's just gone horrifically wrong. Steve Bleasdale, I quite like him in the show. He loses the plot towards the end, but wouldn't you, with Big Ron coming in in his sheepskin jacket, like... <laughs> chucking in drivel when he's trying to like take this opportunity I felt really sorry for him Steve Blisdale and and Abby's done a bit of digging and he's got a nice little wedding photography business now hasn't he so you know jokes on Ron
6: some time back we were talking about teams that you always used to play against Clarkie did you have one (laughs) not not really if I'm being honest yeah, In the lower league of the FA Cup, we ended up playing greys a few times and then the knockout stages. But that's boring. The um, It was Arsenal. When I was part of the youth team slash reserves, it was the season 92-93. Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday four times in a month. You've got to be a certain age to remember this. Um, Both but they cup won finals the league...
2: that year, was it?
6: Yeah, they won the League Cup final 2-1. They lost 1-0 at Hillsborough, playing pretty much a reserve team that I, I just missed out on. Because of the FA Cup final was coming up Then they drew 1-0 in the FA Cup final Horrendous match And then they won 2-1 in the FA Cup final replay In an equally horrendous match Um, So yeah, four times in a month And I'd say Only about half an hour Of the combined total of minutes Was enjoyable But but Arsenal ended up winning two trophies So it was fine Yeah, it could have been
2: worse You could have been Steve Morrow I suppose Um, He didn't enjoy it very much I seem to recall Abby, all the best uh, editing the last 10 minutes of this podcast. Um, Many (laughs) thanks to Adrian, to Sam and to Dancy for joining us today. We'll be back on Thursday looking ahead to the big games in the weekend. I dare say that Fulham versus Bournemouth will feature in that. Uh, Many thanks for joining us though for today's show. We'll speak to you again later in the week. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye.
4: You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on The Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at The Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production.
1: The Athletic.